We continue, brothers and sisters, reading through the narrative of Joseph. And the scripture reading this, um, this morning is from Genesis 46. And we start reading in verse 26. So we saw uh, previously that um, Joseph had made himself known to his brothers and had sent for his father, and then the whole family uh, traveled from Canaan to, um, to Egypt, where there was food, but also protection uh, of their spiritual life. And that is described in chapter 46, the first part. We start reading in verse 26. Genesis 46, verse 26. All the persons who went with Jacob to Egypt, who came from his body, besides Jacob's son's wives, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph, who were born to him in Egypt, were two persons. All the persons of the house of Jacob who went to Egypt were 70. Then he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out before him the way to Goshen. And they came to the land of Goshen. So Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. And he presented himself to him and fell on his neck and he wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face because you are still alive. Then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, My brothers and those of my father's house who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for their occupation has been to feed livestock. And they have brought their flocks, their herds, and all that they have. So it shall be when Pharaoh calls you, and he says, What is your occupation? That you shall say, your servant's occupation has been with livestock from our youth even till now, both we and also our fathers, that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Then Joseph went and told Pharaoh, and he said, My father and my brothers, their flocks and their herds and all that they possess, have come from the land of Canaan, and indeed they are in the land of Goshen. And he took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said, no, Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. And he said to Pharaoh, we have come to dwell in the land because your servants have no pasture for their flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now therefore, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh spoke to Joseph, saying, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Have your father and brothers dwell in the best of the land. Let them dwell in the land of Goshen. And if you know any competent men upon them, make them chief herdsmen over my livestock. And then the next passage, verse 7 to verse 12, that is also the text for the preaching. So we'll focus on verse 7 to 12. Then Joseph brought in his father Jacob and set him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Jacob, How old are you now? 
And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. So Joseph blessed Pharaoh and went out from before Pharaoh. And Joseph situated his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramesses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with bread, according to the number in their families. This is the word of our God. In response to the proclamation of the word, we'll sing hymn 80. Sing the stanzas 1, 2, and 6. Hymn 80, 1, 2, and 6. The congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, does the work of God continue? Always. Is the Lord getting anywhere with His plans and promises? Will, will He never get stuck? We may think that sometimes. We won't say it, of course, but we may have the feeling sometimes. Sure, we believe and confess that the Lord takes care of of everything that needs to be done. He guarantees that His salvation will make progress in the history of His covenant, the gathering of His church. But if you and I go by what we see, it doesn't always look so promising, does it? As the children of God, you want to go by God's promises. We expect new heavens and a new earth, the home of righteousness. We anticipate the full glory of God's kingdom to come. No more trouble, no more misery, no more sin. Tears and death are gone forever. But it's a long time coming, don't you think so? And in the meantime, we have our setbacks. Human efforts to make the world a better place are failing. Christians are being persecuted. The church is struggling through times of decline and then times of revival. What are the prospects to reach what we are supposed to be heading for? Sometimes everything seems to go really wrong, actually. Sometimes it looks like nothing is ever going to change. But don't become discouraged. When we see no longer a future, all of a sudden God himself will give new openings and new possibilities. And it goes to show that his work does continue, indeed, that he does make progress. At the same time, in all the good times, And all the favorable circumstances, we must also realize that the journey continues. We've not arrived yet. Even if we think that life is great, we've not arrived yet. We continue to be pilgrims in this world, looking forward to the complete fulfillment of the promises of God. That also came out when the people of God came to Egypt. Joseph had it all organized. His father, his brothers, and all their families could come, settle in Goshen, to survive the famine. There they would be safe. 
And the continuation of God's work turned out to be a blessing, not only for them, also for the Egyptians. But they also know this is not our final destination. There is more to come. Through Joseph, God's covenant moves forward in Egypt. That's the message this morning. Through Joseph, God's covenant moves forward in Egypt with a blessing as a pilgrimage and in safety. You see those three aspects in our text. Through Joseph, God's covenant moves forward in Egypt with a blessing as a pilgrimage in safety. Congregation. Joseph does not only get Pharaoh's approval to bring his relatives to Egypt, but also his full cooperation. And it made it a lot easier, of course. Just pick up your belongings and down south you go. Not only because there is food, but you know you will be welcome. However, you could ask the question, is it actually proper for Jacob's family to leave the land of God's promise? When he was younger, Jacob had often tried to claim God's promises for himself. And he did so in a deceitful way. Negotiating with his hungry brother. Take advantage of him. Remember Jacob, Esau? Lying to his father. I am Esau. But he was not. And then when he returned to the promised land, he had to wrestle with God at Peniel. So before Jacob could enter the promised land, he had to, the God had promised to Abram, Isaac, and also to him, Jacob had to learn a tough lesson. He was totally dependent on the grace of God. He had to leave the fulfillment of the promises of God in God's hand. As soon as he would try to do it by himself, it fell apart. But, but, but now, is it not a lack of trust when the hunger drives them out of the promised land and into Egypt? Is this famine a good reason to leave the land of God's promises? Perhaps deep down, Jacob was still wondering about that. But he had not forgotten the lesson of Peniel. And so before he crosses the border, he offers sacrifices to confess again his dependence on the Lord. And God responds. He encourages Jacob. After all, that was his plan. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. I will go down with you, and I will also bring you up again. And so they went. And then when they arrive in the region of Goshen, we heard about that, Joseph meets his father. After so many years. A deeply moving experience for both of them. It says that Joseph hugged his father and wept for a long, long time. He couldn't get over his emotions. Well, from there on, everything goes remarkably smooth. Pharaoh generously receives some of the family and audience. He has a friendly chat with five of Joseph's brothers who were carefully instructed by Joseph what to say and what not to say. So they tell him why they have come to Egypt, what they do for a living. And Pharaoh is the kindness himself. You want to settle in Goshen? No problem. This migration is God's way to move the covenant forward in Egypt. 
And you, you, you remember from previous sermons, that's why he assigned Joseph to be available. And Joseph was available with all his political connections in the country for the benefit of the covenant family. And so Joseph does not only bring some of his brothers to meet Pharaoh, he also introduces his aged father to the Egyptian king. Yes, that's the text. Now you've got you to imagine that. Here is this rich and mighty sovereign. Here is the absolute ruler of one of the most powerful world empires in those days. Sitting in his palace, surrounded by the splendid luxury of his magnificent palace. And in walks this 130 years old shepherd. In his kind words of Pharaoh, you can hear his willingness to give this grandfather some sympathetic and polite attention. But obviously, the ruler of this mighty empire did not have the slightest idea, not the faintest comprehension of the significance of the moment. What's happening? It says in our text in verse 7, that Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And in verse 10, when Jacob leaves the throne room, it says again that he blessed Pharaoh. It's mentioned with emphasis two times. Now, you may have seen in the footnotes of some Bibles that you may have with you or at home, that the word that is used could also be translated in a more casual way as Jacob greeted Pharaoh. In verse 7, or he said farewell to Pharaoh in verse 10. Now, that aspect is part of it. But the word that is used tells us that Jacob does more than just walking in and saying hello. Or saying to Pharaoh, hi there, good to see you. Perhaps more fitting for the occasion, good morning your majesty. I mean, when you meet important people like the Prime Minister, the Governor General, the CEO of the company you're working for, the principal of the school you're attending, we do greet those men with proper respect, as we should. But this is different. This is more. Jacob knows himself to be the head of the covenant that the Lord had established with his grandfather and with his father, Abraham and Isaac. And and as such, Jacob is the bearer of the promise that God gave to Abraham and Isaac, the promise of the blessing for all the peoples, all the nations of the world that would come in Jesus Christ. And that means when here the Bible talks about Jacob giving a blessing, we're dealing with the blessing of the God of the covenant. From God's side, and, and, and so from Jacob's side, this is much more than a polite exchange of formalities. It's the word blessing that is decisive for what's going on. Jacob blessed the Egyptian Pharaoh in the name of the Lord, the only true God. And it confirms that the Lord is moving. The Lord is moving in Egypt. His covenant goes forward because he is in control also in Egypt. That's why Jacob can be generous in the name of the Lord. That's why he can acknowledge with thankfulness all that Pharaoh has done for Joseph, for himself, for the whole family. 
The fact that they found a safe refuge, a shelter within the borders of the Egyptian Empire. You may remember that, that God had promised to Abraham, that's in Genesis 12, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And when you think of that, that's pretty amazing. So, so when the world blesses the church, so to speak, when the world shows a positive and supportive attitude towards God's church, the world will experience God's peace, God's blessing, whether they want to acknowledge that or not. And if that happens, it will work the other way around too. When the world experiences peace and justice and freedom and prosperity, it will benefit the church of God. So yes, when God blesses Pharaoh, it will benefit his covenant people. You'll see the same principle many centuries later in a letter that the prophet Jeremiah wrote. It was to the exiles in Babylon. And in that letter, the Lord instructs the exiles, and I quote, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for the city, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. That's Jeremiah 29. Do you recognize what's going on? How do we stand and how do we live in this world? Do we pray that true peace and prosperity may flourish in our world? Do we spread the real hope for the world? A lot of people in this world are working for peace and freedom and prosperity. Right? And there are a lot of people that are passionate about lifting people out of poverty. Many are searching for hopeful perspectives for a better world. After all, that we want, that's what we want to leave our children and grandchildren. A better world. And when God gives His blessing, we may pray that also the church, the believers may benefit. But let's not forget the real blessing for our world, the real hope for all peoples and all nations is God's blessing. The progress of God's work, the fulfillment of God's promises of salvation, the coming of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. Seek the grace of God for this world. Pray for God's mercy over this world. That will benefit people, whether they want to believe it or not. How significant Jacob's blessing is, we can also learn from the author of the letter to the Hebrews. In Hebrews 7, we uh, read about Abraham and Melchizedek, and it refers to the story in Genesis 14. That's where Melchizedek shows up. And Abraham was being blessed by Melchizedek, says the author to the Hebrews. And then he adds in, in verse 7, that it is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In other words, the one who blesses is higher up, is more important, has more authority than the one who receives the blessing. You remember from Genesis 14, Abraham is bowing down before Melchizedek, and Melchizedek blesses him. Now apply that to the text of this morning. Do you see how remarkable this was happening? 
this simple shepherd, straight from the desert, he appears before the mighty political leader of the world power and he gives the blessing. Now, perhaps Pharaoh found it kind of amusing, but Jacob understood the significance because he does it again when he leaves. He represents the most holy God, the great king of the universe. Before Jacob will die, he is going to bless his children. That's in chapter 48 and 49. But this blessing goes beyond that. It reaches the Egyptian king who has welcomed God's people in his country. God reminds us that his blessing, passed on from Abraham throughout the generations, is ultimately not meant for the Israelites only. It's intended for all the people on earth. For the high and the low. That's his goal. As God said to Abraham already in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Today we see this unique blessing being fulfilled around the world in the proclamation of Jesus, the only Savior of the world. God's blessing goes out till the mission is completed. God's blessing goes out till the multitude is being gathered who no one can count from every nation and tribe and peoples and languages that all stand before the throne of God. That is how promising this meeting was in Pharaoh's palace. God's covenant moves forward with a blessing for the world. Then already. You can imagine, brothers and sisters, that for Pharaoh, such a visit was not much more than political politeness. I'm not saying that he didn't mean it, but, you know, a man like him had so many things on his mind and in his work and all that. So the meeting this shepherd was okay, but not a big deal. He appreciated the work, of, the work of Joseph, his trusted minister of food supply, so he was willing to spend a few minutes talking to Joseph's old father. And, and you know what, if you do that, somehow you have to keep the conversation going in a case like that. And so, so Pharaoh asked, Jesus, uh, asked the jo- uh, Jacob in a friendly tone, so, how old are you now, Opa? Jacob's response is striking. He doesn't only mention his age, 130 years, but he adds comments. He shares with Pharaoh and he shares with us today his own life experience as head of God's people. The years of my pilgrimage are 130 years, is Jacob's reply. He characterizes whole life with one word. Pilgrimage. That's remarkable. I mean, it would make sense to look at the years that he spent as a young man in Haran as a time of pilgrimage. Or if he would uh, look at the long coming years in Egypt as a time of pilgrimage. Because those are the times that they were lived outside of the promised land. But Jacob stresses that he has been a wandering stranger, a pilgrim, All his life, wherever he lived over the years, he was not really at home, nowhere. 
Not even in Canaan, the land of God's promises. Sure, for Jacob, leaving Canaan meant he had to let go of his personal hope for the promised inheritance. Possessing the land anytime soon is farther away than ever. And the decision to settle in Egypt emphasized again the place of God's people in the world. And that was his point. Even in Canaan, Jacob was nothing more than an alien, a stranger, always traveling the roads of pilgrimage on earth. When he says that, he confesses his dependence on the God of the covenant. And he confesses his faith in God's promises. The word pilgrimage causes you, forces you, I would almost say, to look forward to what is still to come. Where you are is not your home. It underscores the hope, the, the, the longing for better times. Jacob also qualifies those years. We would say that 130 years is a, is a good old age. And I don't know anyone who has reached 130 years. But Jacob says, my years have been few and evil, and they do not equal the years of the pilgrimage of my fathers. Why does he say that? Could, he, could Jacob not be a bit more thankful? He sounds like a grumpy old man. Few and evil. His words reflect more frustration than appreciation. Why does Jacob not tell about God's blessings in his life? Why does he not share with Pharaoh how he has experienced the grace of God in his life? What a great opportunity to testify to God's faithfulness. It's true. Jacob is quite a bit younger than his father Isaac. He died when he was 180. And his grandfather, Abraham, he died when he was 175. And he seems to expect to live not much longer than 46 for 30. When he was reunited with Joseph, he said already, I'm ready to die. I've seen your face. I know you're alive. Now, mind you, Jacob would live 17 more years and die at the age of 147. But still, even if you take into consideration that in those days people died older than they do today, to say that 130 years are only a few, does that make sense? Here's the point. Keep in mind the combination, few and evil. The emphasis is not so much on the number but more on the quality, so to speak. Few in the sense of, it doesn't really mean a whole lot. There is not much to say about my life because it has been hard. It has been very hard. And that's true. Jacob's life has not been easy. Much of it was the result of his own doing. But think of it. Trouble with the brother Esau. Exile in Haran. In Haran, his father-in-law Laban took advantage of him. And all the misery and tension in his family, marrying four wives, not a good idea. Later, he had to face the careless lifestyle and the violent actions of his sons. And then he had the distress of losing his son Joseph. 
It may seem nice to get so old, but look at your disappointing experiences in life. Is that all there to it? The more years, the more trouble. And although none of us has gone through the experience of Jacob, in my ministry as a pastor, I've also heard old people say, yeah, it's, it's okay to be old. There has been a lot of stuff going on, and I don't want to do it over again. The qualification, few and evil, stresses the pilgrimage character of our lives as God's children. We live here, but this world is not the place to settle. Not yet. We're on our way to a better land. We're not there yet. A lot of sin, a lot of misery to deal with today. As you are traveling, you will face difficulties, disappointments. Notice that Jacob does not only characterize his own life as pilgrimage, he says the same thing about his forefathers. Since God told Abraham, leave your country, leave your people, leave your father's household, and go to the land I will show you, they have been on the road. A clan of wandering strangers. And it was not because they were just a bunch of social misfits. No, no. They were well-to-do. They were rich shepherds. In Hebrews 11, verse 9 to 10, it says, Abraham made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country, as did Isaac and Jacob, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And then he explains in Hebrews 11, verse 13 to 16, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They admitted they were aliens and strangers on earth. They were looking for a better country, a heavenly one, a city prepared by God. In, in that light, Jacob's words to Pharaoh get a new, a different perspective. God had promised them the land of Canaan. And Jacob was looking forward to the day that his descendants would indeed get there. But then he also knew that possessing the land of Canaan would not put an end to the pilgrimage of God's people. And history would prove him right. As soon as the Israelites moved to Canaan, and they would consider Canaan their homeland, and they were settling down, in Canaan, as the final fulfillment of God's promises, they would be stuck halfway. There is more to come. My brother, my sister, as long as the powers of sin and Satan, the powers of death and destruction are still around here, God's covenant keeps moving forward. Moving forward towards the coming of Jesus and towards the return of Jesus, towards the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem, a city prepared by God. That's the promise. And that's the perspective that we have in Jesus. And that's why in our world today, life in God's covenant will always be a pilgrimage. This is how we live here. We have the promise of a future possession. But today, we're aliens. We still are. No fixed place. No final rest in the world. We are like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, permanently on our way towards the promised land. 
together with all God's children all over the world, wandering strangers, longing for a homeland, looking forward to a better country, the heavenly kingdom of God's grace and love in Jesus. Now, that does not mean, always, always remember that, that does not mean that you should ignore your earthly responsibilities in this world. And it does not mean that you cannot enjoy the good things that God has given you here. As God's children, you are called to reflect the love and the compassion of Jesus in your daily life, in all that you do. And above all that, God calls you to spread the gospel of salvation and grace. Urge others to join the pilgrimage. But don't look at what you have here as if this is all there is. Don't act as if this is it. Don't get stuck halfway. Never forget, you're only here for a short time. Just a few evil years, as Jacob would say. And he was 130. None of us will get 130. A few evil years until your Savior will usher you into your heavenly homeland. With Hebrews 13, verse 14, we confess, Here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. So, so congregation, live like Israel. A church facing God's future. A people waiting for the Lord. Waiting for the fulfillment of His word. And in the meantime, as we are waiting... Live by His holy word from day to day. Appreciate your pilgrimage as a preparation for eternal life on the new earth of God. There your pilgrimage will come to a definite end. And so the family is getting settled in Egypt. Through Joseph's efforts, God's covenant is moving forward. Because of Joseph's position in Egypt, he becomes the natural leader, organizer. After all, they depend on him and on his care. It says in verse 11 and 12 that Joseph settled them and gave them a possession in the land. He provided them with food. He provided safety in Egypt so they won't be absorbed by the Canaanite culture and lifestyle. In these verses, the area settled is also called Ramesses. That's the same as the land of Goshen. Uh, the, the, the name district of Ramesses was actually in use much later when the Israelites were forced by the Egyptians to build in this same area a city with that name, the name Ramesses. But all this worked out so well, and, and even with the approval of Pharaoh himself, was largely due to Joseph's position, of course. We read in chapter 46, verse 31, that he advises his brothers to tell Pharaoh they were shepherds. Because, he says, if you do that, you will be allowed to live in the land of Goshen. Every shepherd is an abomination to Egyptians, so they want to hang out with them. They allow them to immigrate, but they won't associate with them. They like to keep their distance. It would make it a bit easier for Joseph to look after their food supply, of course. But the main reason for the Lord to keep his people separate from the Egyptians is, is, is the same reason as why he wanted to get them out of Canaan. The need for spiritual safety. To Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God had said, 
walk before me and be blameless. Oh, you remember how in Canaan, their pagan neighbors had so much influence on them that some of Jacob's sons saw nothing wrong with enjoying the pagan culture, the immoral lifestyle. So if now they would be dispersed among the Egyptians all over the country, and he become attracted to the religion and the culture of their nice neighbors, imagine what, what would happen. So to prevent this, the Lord arranged agriculture and politics in the Middle East in such a way that this time his people ended up in a separate region in Egypt. And it makes Israel's migration a significant part of God's plan and God's promise of salvation in Jesus. God wants to protect them. God wants to preserve them, to bring them back in due time to the land of the promise. The purpose of His covenant, the coming of Jesus, the Savior of the world. In this, this relative isolation in Goshen, God's Old Testament church is to grow and is develop in unity of faith as you worship Him as the only true God, till the day that God's call resounds throughout Egypt, let my people go, we four centuries later. But not only at that time, also today, God wants to preserve His church in this world. So don't cozy up to the paganism around you. Be aware, your pilgrims. Faithfully serve and worship the one true God and according to His will and continue to look forward to the complete fulfillment of the promises. We live in a totally different time than the people of the Old Testament. Jesus has come. The New Testament church does no longer live in this world as an isolated nation. Today we live in the world and we reach out to the world. And we do so with the grand message of God's love in Jesus. His grace for sinners from all nations. But don't be mistaken. This will work only when the church maintains its distinction from the world. As the people of God's covenant. The people who live by grace alone and by faith alone and by the word alone. So live your lives as God's children. My brother, my sister, live your lives as God's children in the midst of this world. That's where you are. And do so without taking over the pagan lifestyle. Do so without taking over the secular thinking that is so common in the culture today. And it permeates everywhere. Remember the warning of John. Do not love the world or the things in the world. The world is passing away along with his desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And take to heart the urgent call of the Apostle James, keep yourselves unstained from the world's beloved. See, see, then you will be able to serve as recognizable witnesses to the goodness, the grace, and the mercy of our Father and God in Jesus Christ. Trust that the work of 